Building in public takes guts. Being truly transparent takes guts. That's because it's easy to be transparent when everything is going well. But what happens when things don't go so well? Like when you're having to delay projects month after month. Are you going to be transparent then? Curvo is an investment app based in Belgium that has been building in public for two years. Their founders, Thomas and Joran, have been bootstrapping the company, which means they're learning everything they can about marketing, product, regulation and investing themselves and taking their audience along the way. Their build-in-public approach has helped them build trust with customers as well as help with marketing their product. And yes, they have been transparent, even when projects were delayed. In this episode, I'm chatting with one of their founders, Thomas. We talk about the initial days at Curvo and what their most effective customer acquisition channel is to date. We also talk about why they are so transparent, how they're educating people and how leveraging the audiences of influencers helps them gain more reach. Finally, we chat about the regulatory obstacles Kruvo faced and how the team cleverly overcame them. Thomas also explains why they're deciding to bootstrap rather than raise money for the time being. I have a huge amount of respect and awe at what the team at Kruvo is doing and what they've managed to achieve in the past two years. They just recently launched their app a few months ago and are steadily acquiring customers. It's super exciting to follow their journey and the plan is to check in with them in another year or so. Thomas is very transparent about how they do things at Cruvo, which makes this podcast episode particularly useful, I think, to other fintech marketers. You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast where I explore how fintech marketers are using marketing to help fintech companies fulfill their mission of democratizing finance. I am your host, Araminta Robertson, partner of the Fintech Marketing Hub. Let's hear from Thomas. So Thomas, my, my first question is, when did you first realize the investing system in Belgium or the pension system in Belgium was broken and that you wanted to fix it? Yeah, so it's a pretty good opening question. So... We, so me, my co-founder and I, so Joran, uh, Bronsimer and I, we started uh, a first company around uh, seven years ago in edtech called Sutori, sutori.com. And we actually moved to the States and we were living there for about three to four years. And it was out there that we noticed there were so many apps and there was all this like proliferation of kind of wealth management apps, which, which were really easy to use, like Wealthfront and Betterment. And we realized at that point, we said, wow, so many uh, people in the US are taking care of their savings and they're kind of thinking about their retirement. And then we wondered why wasn't there the kind of European equivalent. And so at that moment, we kind of got into the whole pension system and started digging into Belgium. And then we realized, because we thought, okay, European pensions probably going to get more money than a US pension. But then we looked at, really looked at it and we noticed there was a huge gap in the market where, you know, changing demographics and then our generation, you know, sort of millennials were not really well served. And so that's where we really saw that was a problem to solve. And that's when we kind of moved back to Belgium to launch Curvo. Yeah. And today we'll be talking about like how you've started that and obviously the hurdles that you've uncovered, especially regulation right? <laughs> yeah. And kind of how you're going around that as like a bootstrapped company, right? Which is quite rare in the fintech space. So 
should be should be exciting to dive into. So on this podcast, uh, I'm dividing episodes into um, customer acquisition. This is just for the listeners, customer acquisition. And then we're going to talk about messaging and branding and then uh, hiring and building a team. So for the first section, you realize the pension system is broken and that there's a real opportunity here. How did you figure out who you were going to target? Yeah, so it was really... It was a really tough one. So at first we feel like everyone is the target because you kind of want to serve. Everyone needs to retire. Everyone needs a pension. But then the more we dug into it, the more we realized we can't serve everyone, especially when you're first launching. And so we really narrowed it down to us as the target persona because we were, you know, two, uh, young millennials, uh, early 30s, who was starting to think about their pension and who couldn't find a product to serve them. So that's where we really started from. We really focused on ourselves and solving our problem. And so our target persona currently is still the same one as people like ourselves. So uh, millennials who are entrepreneurs or freelancers who don't have uh, kind of an employee-style pension. And so that's still the target market for Curvo and for our launch. Mm -hmm. Nice. And um, from what I understand, you got on the phone with every single customer and um, to kind of gain insights from that. Can you tell me kind of what was your approach there and how did you do that and kind of what insights you've gotten from doing it? Yeah, so it actually started around two years ago when we first came up with the idea. And so we built, uh, you know, a very simple landing page, which just had kind of our key benefits that we wanted to come put across. And then we had a sign up form so you could sign up to our wait list. And what we did is that we kind of hacked around that and said, if you leave your email, you can book a time to chat with Yuren or I, so one of the founders of Curvo. And so that led to us having, you know, tons of conversations before we'd actually built anything or even thought about features. And so we kind of had that mindset from the start. And so we did, I'd say, you know, over a hundred uh, customer insight calls overall wow. in two years. And then we wanted to kind of continue that when we launched. So when we launched the product, now it's, you know, just in October. So uh, October, 2021. So that's two months ago. We still phone every single person that downloads the app. Uh, so we collect their phone number and then through that, we actually give them a quick call just to check in on how was the app? Uh, do they have any feedback? Is there anything we can improve? And so from those insights, we gather so much uh, information on, you know, where they came from, what were they expecting? And is there anything that disappointed them? Yeah. And just personally, in general, you're probably like learning a lot about what people like, what people don't like and the pain points, right? The most important pain points to solve, right? Yeah, definitely. I think one, you know, we we have such... such a variety of insights. But what we've realized is that, you know, in the first couple of weeks, there were a lot of issues with our onboarding and our questionnaire. Mm. And then, you know, we solved them relatively quickly. And then the next batch of customers had other issues. And so well, we, we're kind of like fixing them little by little. Um, we know it's not scalable to ring every single customer, but we're going to you know, take it as far as we can because it's it's really valuable. And you know, for an early stage company like us, we need that trust from customers. And I think it, it does help to give them a quick call and just, you know, let them know that, you know, A, everything worked on, on our end, but also just to, to get some insight from them. That's really cool. Yeah, for sure. I, I understand that. Um, and you mentioned that at the beginning you had like a landing page. What what, what kind of channels were you using to uh, get kind of traffic to that landing page? Were you just ads or have you tried anything else? 
No, so it's all, all been organic. Um, we don't have too much experience with ads. It's something that we kind of want to learn, hopefully through episodes in your podcast. <laughs> but yeah, currently, like we we just shared it through our network. Nice. We joined a couple of communities on Reddit. And what we realized is that we needed more than a landing page. We needed to actually solve people's problems as well. So we started creating a bit more content around Belgium specific issues related to investing. So that that was a channel for us to kind of grow the waiting list. And today, uh, two, two months after launching, where are most of those customers coming from now? Yeah, so it's still very early, but uh, a lot of them are coming from Google search, which is cool. great. That's so amazing. a lot of our uh, SEO and our content is already uh, starting to take shape. We started a YouTube channel two months ago. Um, so we have roughly uh, 12 videos on there now. And so those are kind of our two channels. And obviously it's a Facebook group with a lot of uh, in index investors, passive investors, people thinking about their uh, future retirement. So there's a lot of activity through those channels. Um, and we're still hitting our target persona right now. So it's very focused on on that target persona. Wow, that's super exciting. And in terms of content, it's great that you're seeing results already. I mean, you've been doing, have you, you've, you started right like two years ago. So you've been starting from the beginning and obviously it's taken a while to see results because that's SEO, but obviously two years later you've launched and you're seeing results already. Yeah. So I think the, the big takeaway for us is that content, yeah, you, Usually it takes about yeah three to four months for it to be like properly indexed, et cetera. We've noticed there's a way of accelerating it through Ooh. distribution. So getting yeah. backlinks. And so one thing that we did uh, relatively early on, so, uh, you know, Jürgen's the CTO, so he, he's uh, uh, the web and app developer. And what he looked at, one particular pain point for him was that he couldn't find a way f to backtest his portfolio of ETFs which was specific to European investors. So there's a lot of resources, financial materials for US investors, but there wasn't yeah. that much for Europeans. And so he actually built a tool, which we launched for free and provided to the community, which is uh, Backtest. And that still to this day, you know, it keeps growing organically and has, you know, over 500 people uh, using it every day. They're not particularly our target audience because they're kind of all European investors who do it themselves rather than needing a, a mm. service like Curvo. But it does help and it helped our ranking for sure um, because we had so much traffic on there. Yeah, it's uh, as someone who used to have an FI podcast focused on Europe, I totally understand about what, what you're saying. That A lot of the content is US focused. And, and this is also what I do in terms of content. One of the first things I do when I'm starting to work with a fintech company is let's create localized content. If, if it's a European or Australia or just a different country, because often the pain points are the same, but there's not localized content. And that's like a really good opportunity. So totally makes sense. And so talk to me a bit about influencer marketing, because uh, I like the approach, very intentional approach you've taken. Um, so just for the listeners, tell us what your what your approach is and um, well, well, how has it worked so far? Yeah, so the the whole idea behind influencer marketing, I'm not particularly talking about, you know, influencers on Instagram or TikTok or anything like that, is that we call them influencers within the finance space. So that could be a uh, financial influencer who's known in Belgium who talks a lot about ETFs or a pension specialist who's often in the news. And so we built a spreadsheet of over 250 of these people that we wanted to target. And 
either have an interview with them or organize a webinar or just have them give feedback on the whole concept. So, you know, we've been going through this list uh, slowly, but it's really starting to to bear fruit. So, you know, one of our uh, most famous influences that we interviewed was Ben Felix, who's uh, uh, the host of the Rational Reminder podcast. And he's got, you know, millions of YouTube views. Uh, he's very famous in Europe. And so what we wanted to do was kind of uh, interview Ben with a live audience of European investors. And so, you know, we had over 200 live attendees and it was yeah, a really successful event. And so another one we recently did was Lars Croyer, who's the author of Investing Demystified. And so we also just interviewed him um, just to ask him about, you know, his experience of investing and kind of, you know, show a lot of the community, uh, especially Belgians, that uh, there are different ways of uh, investing. And, and how do you reach out to them? Do you just cold email them and say, are you interested in this? Or do you try and build somehow a relationship? How, how does it work? Yeah, it's really tough. So we, we do a mix. I think having the fact that we have backtest we had backtest mm. as a free tool that we were giving to the community helped us uh, in terms of credibility so it's a lot easier to reach out and then now that we have a product launched and we have existing events it's, it's become a lot easier to to just email or send a message on linkedin yeah and i'm guessing they don't have many I don't know, people asking, because they're like, it's such a niche world, uh, I find, when I do this kind of thing, that because there's so few requests, they're like, yeah, why not? Because it's not like they get this every day, right? Is that is that true? Yeah, ex exactly, yeah. Um, so. so it's definitely worth giving it a try and, you know, finding an angle that kind of provides value for them as well. So on the on the topic of messaging and branding, one thing that I really love about what you're doing at Kruvo is the building in public aspect, which... I mean, it makes a lot of sense as a finance company because in the investing world or in the financial institution world, there's a lack of transparency and people don't know what they're paying. And obviously you're trying to overcome all that by just being super transparent. So for the listeners who don't know about Curvo, can you give us some examples of the build in public approach that you're doing at the moment? Yeah, sure. So yeah, like you said, I mean, traditionally finance is really not a transparent industry. And so we really wanted to do things differently at Curvo and do it from day one. And so for the last two years, we've documented every single month, everything that's happened to the company. So everything that's worked and everything that hasn't worked. And so we've done it through Instagram videos a newsletter and obviously tweets as well. And so we just publish everything. And so we were really inspired by a Dutch entrepreneur called Peter Levels, uh, mm -hmm. who runs uh, Nomad List. And so he'd oh, been yeah. sharing his startup journey for years. And so we noticed how he built such a loyal following thanks to that. And then mm. there was another inspiration, which was GitLab. So they're a company which has just gone public and their entire core value is transparency. And what they do about that is that everything they do is public first which is a really different way of thinking about building a business. And so it, what I really love about it is that most companies, they become like non-transparent over time because they just don't accept any mistakes. And so it's really interesting because the more you make public, the more collaboration becomes easier. Mm. And what we noticed with GitLab is that you trust their product a lot more and you trust the people running it because you can go see every single meeting they have. It's 
it's live streamed, which is crazy. And so we really got inspired with that and saw, well, we can kind of do a similar system with Curvo. Because we know as a new entrant to the market, it's really difficult to build that trust. And so we we felt like it was kind of the right approach. I don't know if it's if we're going to be as successful as GitLab in terms of staying fully transparent, um, but that's our goal, definitely, because it's in the interest of the customer as well to know the people behind the company and then the decisions that we make. I think it's it's super impressive and super brave because you're doing Instagram, you're becoming a a mini influencer in a way, right? Because I see your Instagram videos and all that. Like just on a personal level, has it been scary to kind of, I can imagine it has, like um, what have you learned on a personal level when it comes to like being in the public eye and doing everything in public how do you feel that has like changed the way that you work and build Curvo? I say uh, it, it became quite tedious at points. Really? <laughs> Primarily because we, you know, we came with the idea two years ago and we thought we'd launch within a year. And so we were almost delayed by a whole year. So the that aspect of not having anything to say was really difficult because every month we were saying, oh, well, we're almost going to launch now. And, you know, there were so many regulatory hurdles that it wasn't just like launching a a SaaS app and then you're out there. I mean, fintech, rightly so, is heavily regulated. And so for us, it was kind of difficult at times to, to keep that optimism up. But it also made us accountable in the sense that every month we would say we'd do something, then we would most likely have to do it because we had people actually following and sending us messages if, you know, we hadn't done something. So Mm -hmm. that aspect of building in public, it definitely makes it challenging, but also I think a lot more uh, community orientated. That's true. And hopefully you'll be able to continue building in public. Um, I don't know like how the regulation works, but obviously there's some things, like I know in the UK, for example, um, the FCA says you cannot, like if you block an account, you cannot let the person know why. There's like these, some of these regulations where you just cannot be transparent. Um, have you, are you, are you ever worried that as you grow, you'll face some of these hard, different regulations? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's all about you know, pushing, pushing it to the limit, um, yeah. you yeah. know, and making sure that we still uh, fall under the right regulations. But at the end of the day, I think as a company, we can be extremely transparent in the way we operate. And then obviously with customers, we'll just kind of be as transparent as possible. Yeah, for sure. And you're also building trust via content. And I'm also very impressed, like how you're in the articles, you, if the other, like there was an article where you're comparing, for example, real estate investments and index funds. And clearly you state that uh, real estate wins. Um, so obviously in this case, Curvo's might not be the better answer, although there are some caveats, of course, of real estate investing, but you are in your content really focused on being as transparent as possible. I'm wondering, like, have you seen, have you seen this actually build trust? Like, how have you seen this build trust? How have you seen this working? Yeah, no, so that's a, it's a really good point. So some of the articles we write are not in the interest of Curvo. Yeah. So it's kind of weird to to say, to write content like that. But what we found is that it's more honest, really, with the customer and potential customers. And I don't know if it's had like a massively positive effect um, so far, because it's still quite early. But what we do know is that some people do email us and they really appreciate the fact that we 
build spreadsheets that they can make a copy of and edit. So that was in particular with the real estate versus passive investing example. And so I think the fact that we are so open with those numbers and we explain how we come to these conclusions that that whole aspect makes it really approachable for for people. So it builds that trust because you're there advising them not really advising them, you're just telling them the facts and then it's up yeah. to them to make exactly. make their judgment. And I think that's something we definitely want to continue because it's it's really the the right approach. And we don't see it happening too much in Belgium. Uh, mm. I know obviously uh, the UK and the US is uh, very different markets, but in Belgium, there's no one really doing this kind of content, which I think is going to work in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I always, I mean, I think it's a good example to any other fintech companies listening who want to build transparent content, the way you've framed it, because it can be difficult. It sounds easy to be transparent, but writing it can be difficult because you don't really know how to frame your own product. Often you don't want to be too salesy, but also sometimes you want to mention it. Like sometimes it's not very straightforward. And I think the way you framed it is quite good. And I think it's a good example of how to be transparent, build trust, but also obviously get traffic and get leads and customers via content. So it's just a good example. I like it. And you also do events and webinars. Can you tell us a bit kind of what types of events you're hosting and um, what is attendance like? What kind of results have you seen from the events that you've been hosting? Yeah. So the first event we hosted, uh, which really worked well, which is the one I mentioned earlier uh, on was the Ben Felix interview. And so, you know, that had over 200 live attendees and Mm -hmm. so many people uh, watched the recording, which is on YouTube as well. And so we, we got a lot of, you know, positive feedback around that. We are launching another webinar with a Belgian expert on investing in ETFs and that's uh, in Dutch. So it's a, it's a different, different angle, but it's, um, yeah, it's next week and we already have, you know, a significant wait list on it who are gonna gonna attend live. So those kind of interviews work well. We did one webinar where we were just talking about Curvo and the product. And that was actually a bit of a failure. So we mm-hmm. we only had uh, you know, twenty-five attendees. And so we realized the problem with that was maybe the distribution wasn't uh up up to scratch because the events which work really well is because we're relying on the name of the interviewer or the kind of network that they have and the audience that they have. And so when we can piggyback off that, it's usually quite popular. When we do something just mm. ourselves um, with our community, uh, it's not always the most highly attended because they already know everything about Kerbo because they've been following the product for, <laughs> for two years. So they're not going to learn anything uh, drastically new when we talk about products. So I think mm-hmm. that's what we've taken away from it is that we have to provide interesting content that either solves a particular problem that someone's having or it solves a a whole set of kind of issues that they have. So it seems like the people who attend those events are followers of the influencer usually, right? Yeah. yeah. Because that's how they find out about the event. Yeah. And then they, you know, in turn, then they find out about Curvo Yeah, and it just helps uh, obviously our brand and getting more people onto the website. Yeah, and the events, I haven't attended one, but the events are, so just so I know what they're like, they're more like an interview, a bit like what we're doing right now. Is that kind of how you're doing them? Or is it more asking questions? Yeah, I mean, how, how yeah, have you tried so to frame it's, it? It's a bit of a mix. So we, what we found is really useful is that for Ben Felix, there was so much interest. So what we did is that we posted it on multiple Reddits, uh, 
investing nice. Reddits on, in Europe. And we just asked people for their questions. So we collected all the questions, which became a gigantic task because there were over a hundred questions. Oh, wow. And then we, here, like my co-founder and I here, and we selected the best questions and then asked Ben live uh, during the event. And then we also gave some space during the live event for a few questions from the crowd. So that really helped. So there was like a chat system there and, you know, a lot of people were chatting on there and discussing. So I think that kind of format works well to gather questions and kind of curate them and then have a space to have other random questions come in. Yeah. Because uh, if you, if you know, if you're uh, an attendee and you ask a question, then you're going to attend to see if they, if they, if you ask it, right. So that kind of helps with attendance. Um, and what I like, I think, is that you're engaging with the influencer, let's just call them, um, and the attendees rather than like just sponsoring, right? You're just, you're actually actively turning up and talking, which is a little bit different to just having a logo, right? Yeah, um, correct. And it's also primarily because we don't really have a marketing budget. So sure, yeah, yeah. We, we have to figure out the, 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 the options which, which enable us to really get the most out of those events. For sure. That makes sense. And you mentioned that your next event is in Dutch. And I was actually wondering, like, how do you manage, like your, your content is in English. So how do you manage in Belgium, like three languages are spoken. So how, how do you manage dealing with the different languages and how, yeah. Yeah. So it's really tough. So we, in the first two years of the company, we actually had a multilingual website. So we had in English, Dutch, and French. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the content we were doing, we were obviously translating it and publishing it, which was actually beneficial because we were getting a lot more traffic uh, in free languages from Google. Yeah. But obviously when we started working on the app, we realized that we couldn't launch with the free languages because it was uh, technically too much to ask for for our yeah. first product launch. And so we had to make the decision where we actually dropped the French and Dutch content that we'd been building for two years, which was quite a tough decision because you yeah. lose the traffic. But we realized that it would have been more confusing to have this content in French and Dutch. And then when they download the app and start using it, the user experience isn't there because it's just in English. And so again, we really scaled it down and fought back to our target persona. And then we put ourselves in our shoes. Brussels is such an international city and Belgium itself is, you know, English is spoken quite often. And so we realized, okay, for our target persona for the first, you know, six months of launch, we can just have it in English and we just focus on that persona. But it's obvious we're seeing the limitations, which is a lot of the customer insights is, oh, I wish it was in, mm. you know, Dutch or French. So that's definitely something that, um, you know, we had to grapple with, but I think long-term it's, it's definitely going to be, you know, built. Yeah, sounds like a tough decision to make, plus especially sacrificing all that content. But as you say, like maybe in a couple of years, you'll be able to launch in several languages and then start publishing in all these languages. But yeah, this is a, a problem I see in a lot of fintech companies like in Europe, where so many different languages are spoken. Like where I, I was uh, working for a fintech in Barcelona, and there were also three languages, Catalan, Spanish, and English. And you'd think it's Spain, just Spanish. But no, people wanted to do so many different ones. And so picking one sounds easy. It's really difficult. So I understand that, yeah, it was a tough decision. Um, the, the last thing I wanted to talk um, to, to kind of mention on this topic is I really like that you have a section in your website that's titled why you should not invest in Curvo. <laughs> um, yeah. Because basically, I mean, what you're doing here is really making it clear who who Curvo is for and who Curvo is for, uh, isn't for. 
And that's just a much better way of becoming someone's favorite app, because then to them, it's really clear that it's for them. Where did you get the kind of idea? Is this just back to the transparency aspect? Where did you get the idea of just being so clear about who you're not for? Yeah, it comes back to the target persona. And like, I was actually, there was one book that my co-founder Yuran gave me, which was, I don't know if you know, it's The Mum Test um, Mm. by Rob uh, Fitzpatrick. And for him, it was always like the whole book is just about how to ask the right questions to get the right kind of feedback. It was also like how to write an email that makes people want to talk to you. And it was like reading his book that we kind of condensed it and realized that we really have to speak to our target persona. And our target persona, you know, coincidentally was us. So it was relatively easy to build the website and the content around what we wanted to to read from a company. And that's exactly what we wanted because we realized we can just kind of dismiss a lot of users right now because we're not ready for a mainstream audience. And by saying what you're not good at, it kind of yeah filters out customers. And I, I'm hoping people will, you know, kind of appreciate it appreciate Curvo more because it, it doesn't try to do everything like a bank does. It's not a bank. It's it's a specific problem that we're trying to solve around index investing. Yeah, that's great. The the mums uh what did you call it? The mums The Mum Test. Mum test. Okay. This, I'm adding that to my book list. Um because that sounds really interesting. Yeah. And so I, I love that because I think I mean it's a brave, it's a scary thing to do because you might be thinking that you're closing people off, but that's how you become a favorite because you're very clear for one target audience. That's really cool. And then on the segment, on the topic of team and and um, and kind of overcoming regulation, I kind of want to talk about that here also. The first one kind of being you chose to bootstrap rather than raise VC money. Can you walk us through your thinking there and why, yeah, why did you decide to bootstrap? Yeah, sure. So um, we... Like I mentioned earlier, so Yaren and I had started a company seven years ago, and uh, we'd actually raised uh, venture capital and money from angel investors. And what we realized is that we raised money way too early. So not only did we get heavily diluted, but we also had a lot of pressure uh, in order to kind of reach unattainable goals. And so we really realized kind of the flaws of raising money too early. And what mm. we wanted to do with Curvo is really get it to a stage where we can actually have around 500 customers. We have a semblance of a product market fit, or at least we have an idea of how to get there. Um, we've tried experiments. So we've we figured out a channel to bring in customers. We've tried some paid ads. And we're hoping to get to that stage um, within the next year. And that's really the goal. So once we reach those targets, we know that we'll be in a better position to then raise our seed round. I see. Because we would have got a lot of those assumptions. So, you know, one caveat is, yeah, bootstrapping is really tough. We're fortunate that we have, you know, revenue from our first company that enables us to, you know, take more risks and not draw a salary for working for two years on Curvo. And that's that's perfectly okay because we have a long-term goal in mind. But I know that's, you know, not for everyone. It's definitely not easy to do. So we are really lucky um, with that because it gives us the opportunity to bootstrap. And in terms of the team, like full-time, it's you and Urin. And then uh, you've got, do you have any other full-time employees or is everyone? Yeah, so we brought uh, we brought on um, uh, third uh, 
partner, which is uh, Ben. And then he's a former private banker from Credit Suisse and uh, Berenberg Bank. So he's, you know, really from the finance industry. And so, uh, you know, he's really gone from, uh, you know, wearing a suit every day to working on a startup and growing the the app. So it's really, really great to have someone else join the team who also believes in the project and who's thinking long term as well. Mm-hmm. And and last time we chatted, you told me that one thing that you hadn't anticipated when starting Curva was the regulatory approvals and dealing with, and I mean, you said it yourself, right? Took you one year. I mean, the year, that extra year was because of regulation from what I understand, right? So what, what was, what were those obstacles and yeah, how, how did you overcome them? Yeah. So we, we were really naive. So obviously we'd come from uh, the web background where we'd launched the product and it was kind of used by you know, uh, thousands of people every day and we didn't really have to ask permission from anyone. Yeah. And then we we knew it was going to be quite tough, but we kind of went, you know, we'd said we'd start in Belgium, which isn't necessarily known for its innovative uh, fintech apps, especially consumer focused. And so we went, you know, obviously went through all the criteria from a regulatory standpoint, from the national bank to the, the financial regulator. And we realized that, okay, we have to do some uh, exams, we have to get certified. We did some of those processes. We then realized that we had to find a partner, um, which was a financial institution. So we actually spent, you know, nearly a year working with Belgian uh, financial institution, partnering with them, worked on a gigantic business plan, like the longest business plan I've ever seen, uh, <laughs> submitted it to the national bank. And then unfortunately, you know, it didn't pass and it didn't pass because they wanted Curvo to be part of that wealth management company. So we couldn't have that kind of autonomy and independence that we needed and that we wanted as entrepreneurs. So we would have to work for someone else. Mm. And so at that point, you know, we almost threw the towel in. We were kind of going to, yeah, just give up. And then a couple, we spoke to a couple of people in the industry and they said, well, just look to, to the Netherlands or Luxembourg because they're way more open with, newcomers. There's a different way of thinking about the problem. And so we found a great partner in the Netherlands. And so thanks to the EU passporting uh, system, we passported the license to Belgium to launch Curvo. And so we're actually regulated in the Netherlands, uh, but overseen by the Belgian Mm -hmm. regulators. And so it's really difficult to get through that whole process. And you know, I think we learned a lot in, in the last two years to get there, but uh, it's definitely takes a lot longer than you first anticipate. Yeah, that's amazing. And you do- and you documented everything. So anyone listening who wants to find out what happened, you could just go to like month- monthly reports, right? Slash, I'll put the link in the show notes. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, so it's, you, you could have to find, yeah, go through a lot of content to find it. But we're, we're planning on writing a, a more in-depth uh, article, like a blog mm-hmm. post, um, just to help other fintech founders in Belgium. Because we you know we've had people reach out, like there's a, a someone in our network who's building an insurance company in Belgium, mm-hmm. and he's going through pretty much the same hoops uh, that we just did. Well, yeah, that's amazing and super impressive that you managed to figure it out. So big, big kudos to you. Yeah. So in terms of like building a team, like what what are your what are your plans for the next um, year or so? I know you have 90 customers now because you, you launched like uh, in October, which is super exciting. So, and your aim is 500 customers to to sit, you know, to feel like you've got a product market fit. So what is your kind of plan for the next year or so? What is Curvo? Where's Curvo going? 
Yeah, so yeah, fingers crossed we we reach our target of yeah, the 500 customers. Um so, you know, assets under management is, is still relatively low. It's only 160,000 uh, euros as we record this. But we know that it's going to take time for people to really build that trust in the product. And so we see a lot of people investing very small amounts of money uh, just to try us out. And what we have, which one of our big metrics that we want to improve is a direct debit uh, system within the app. So you can send, you know, from 50 euros every single month, you can send money to your Curvo portfolio, which gets invested automatically. And so we really want to focus on kind of building those good financial habits. And so we're going to create a lot of content around that and a lot of different tooling to show the impact of, you know, investing money every month. Mm -hmm. And so our goal is to really focus on the users that we have, make sure that they're having a good experience, make sure that little to no churn, that's the goal. And um, yeah, focus more on building that context so continuing to solve those particular Belgian problems. Like we just recently launched an article linked to a recent tax change in Belgium on ETFs, for example. And that's like a very kind of niche problem, but so many Belgians are going to be impacted by it. And so we kind of want to stay reactive to things that happen and make sure that we build the content around it. So it's still just going to be the three of us for, for the next year. And mm -hmm. then hopefully if we if we can prove the model and it's working, then I think we'll be in a good position to to fundraise and grow the team. Yeah. And then further on, it's like, so from what I understand, you're, you're solving the pain point of pensions and investing. And is there a plan to to go even further than that after that, after afterwards? Yeah, I mean, it's the thing is that we notice is that, you know, we, we're, we're kind of caught or divided in two. It's like you want to, you know, conquer the whole of Europe and just go market by market mm. because it's so tempting. But then on the other hand, we know that we've there's so many problems to solve in Belgium and there's so many yeah. issues that we can really become experts on and solve for our users by just staying focused on Belgium. So it's, it's one of those, um, you know, tough balances. Like I noticed... You know, in a recent interview you did last year with Pension B, and I think why they work so well is that they just focus on That's that true. problem of pensions. And so, you know, we see those companies as like really kind of inspiring. So it's uh, it's a tough one. Maybe ask me in a year, and I'll, I'll probably change my mind. Yeah, it's. I mean, to me, it's super impressive what you guys are doing. So I'm really. I will ask you in a year. <laughs> in fact, I would love to to chat to you and have you on again in six months, a year, and see how you're doing. And actually, so my last question for you is, you know, to, to fellow fintech founders listening to this who are either bootstrapping or in the middle of raising money, and uh, it's it's a difficult process. What what do you tell them? What what is your? I don't want to say the word advice, but like, what kept you going through like the tough times, and what you think could help them keep them going when when they feel like it's just not. Not working. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one. I think the thing that kept us going the whole time was that we were speaking to pre-customers mm -hmm. and um, obviously customers now, but before we had anything, we were still having those conversations. And so, you know, you'd have a week where you'd be pretty down because, you know, we weren't getting any progress on the licensing part, but then you'd have a call with a pre-customer who you would figure out, you know, all the problems that they had and then you'd be like, okay, I've got the app to solve it. I just need to to get it out there. And so that was really motivating. So I, you know, I just say to a lot of other founders is, yeah, just try and speak to as many people as possible. 
get those uh, insights and then build the product that they really want. And um, that's the thing that kept us going. That makes complete sense. Yeah, that sounds really good. Well, thank you so much, Thomas, for for answering all my questions and for coming on. It's super impressive what you're doing. It's super exciting to see what you're doing at Cruvo. And I love your build in public approach, which I will continue to follow. And I really encourage listeners to check it out as well. And I will check in with you in a year uh, and we'll we'll see how everything's going. But I'm sure it'll be amazing because, yeah, it's great what you're doing. So thanks again. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Araminta. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com and then click on podcast. We've also got a fintech marketing Slack community where you can meet fellow fintech marketers and founders, ask podcast guest questions ahead of a show and attend exclusive online events with industry experts. We'd love to see you in there, hear your feedback and learn about the challenges you're currently facing in your role. To join, head to fintechmarketinghub.com forward slash Slack. That's all for today. See you in the Slack.